there is a mic at the back. So please uh, ask your questions from the mic at the back. You have one minute to pose your question. You know, we have a tradition in SAGPA that questioners state their names before they ask their questions. Now, we're not in our traditional uh, home uh, on Mayor McGrath Drive, so I'm going to make it optional. If you wish to state your name, please do. If you don't, that's perfectly okay as well. You have one minute to pose your question, and you must direct it, please, to one candidate or maximum two candidates. If you direct it to one candidate, the candidate will have two hours to... Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's going to be a long night. Yeah. You mean 9.30 a.m.? Well, they all look happy, at least. Yeah. <laughs> You have two minutes to respond to the question, but if you direct it to two candidates, they have one minute each to respond. So, first questioner, please. Uh, hello, my name is uh, Wade Galloway. I'm a uh, member of the Lethbridge Skateboard Association and also a creator of lethbridgeaccountability.ca where you can see where these candidates stand on 33 issues. Uh, uh, no promotions, it's just the name. Uh, it wasn't promotion, it was leading to the question, but thank you, though. Uh, question for Dennis. Uh, you were one of the only candidates and the only mayor candidate not to respond to that survey. The question I have relates to the skateboard park issue. What is your position on skateboard parks, sir? First off, I got back to your thing. It's not that I didn't respond. I was uh, about eight hours late in responding, but there was a response there, so I don't think it's really fair that you published on the computer that I did not respond. I did respond. I just missed the deadline. Uh, you, uh, when, you're, when you have 30 surveys and one comes along with 32 questions, there's 30 others with 10 on it, uh, you're doing a lot of responding. But uh, I really, if I'm elected, do realize that you guys need a new skate park. The question is where, how, and why. Uh, as of our last meeting, when I asked you, uh, you did get me a 13-page thir uh, uh, presentation you made to this outfit. Uh, I've got it, and I'm willing to look at it. But uh, if I'm elected, I am willing to work with your organization. Thanks very much. Next question, please. Um, good evening. I'm Rena Wass. And there um, have been a lot of groups that have gone to huge effort putting together surveys. And I know uh, from what you're telling me, some of you have been a bit overwhelmed by them. Nevertheless, they are important. They give us a snapshot of how you think on issues that are going to affect all of us. Um, so I encourage everyone to go on the Internet and check out some of the surveys. Now, um, accountability, um, enviro vote, green sense, these are some of the surveys available. And I, on the green sense survey, I... Uh, do I you have a question, madam? Yes, I do. Um, they were um, uh, grading um, candidates uh, green, yellow, and red. And on environment issues... Uh, Cheryl was voted as uh, the number one choice for mayor, and I noted that Rako was uh, given uh, a uh, red please vote. Please get to your question. So, um, Cheryl, could you give us a little bit more information about why you were voted green or what your vision is to direct us towards more green uh, renewable energy? Thank you. Um, as I had said earlier, I think that the city has some great folks inside that are trying to be green. But um, unlike most other Alberta cities, Lethbridge does not have a master plan for environmentalism, and I think it starts with that. I am a big planner. You know that cliche, plan your work, work your plan? Um, I really um, subscribe to that. So I think that uh, the... The idea of green is that it flows out everywhere. So if we say, you know what, we want to drive less, then okay, so that's uh, a conservation thing, but it means that perhaps then we want to cycle more. So if we want to cycle more, then that means people are going to ride their bikes to work and where are the cycling paths for that, and that becomes a parks and rec issue and a transportation issue, and it just 
pushes out. So I think um, being green is um, a key priority, and uh, it, it just is interwoven with so many things, and that's the holistic approach that I took when I answered your survey. Thanks very much. No candidates. There are no rebuttals in the, this, in excuse this audience me, I, question. Just a point of order. And the reason... Uh, Reiko, I'm sorry. We're going to move on to the next question, please. But I think it was important for the audience to know how those questions were phrased and how much taxpayer money was involved if they answered a certain way. So that's why... I'll I come back to, to that question afterwards if we've got time. Thanks very much. Thank you. Go ahead with the next question, please. My name is John Stanley. I'm a senior citizen, and I live in a 30-year-old house. Uh, Chris, you raised an interesting question or a comment in your um, one of your questions that you said that houses 25 to 30 years old were going down in value. Every year, I get my tax notice. <laughs> <laughs> My 30-year-old house is going up, and I don't think I could ever get the value that the city says that my house is worth if I wanted to sell it. Now, what are you going to do to help us senior citizens stay in our 30-year-old houses without taxing us to death? Okay. Well, I, I agree with you. I, I live in a house that was built in 1977. I can tell you that the uh, tax appeal process is not fair. I appealed my assessment last year. I was partially successful. This year, I was unsuccessful. The chair of the appeal board questioned why I went and got the assessed values of five identical homes. He said, why did you do that? I said, because the tax rolls are open on May the 1st and for six weeks, and everybody's entitled to do that if you want to appeal your taxes. So I don't, I don't think the process is fair. The appeal process to the, to the Municipal Government Board has been taken away, and now your only appeal is to the Court of Queen's bench. So we have to have fair people sitting on the appeal board. I don't think we do, and I think uh, you're absolutely right that a house identical to mine sold for $100,000 less than my assessed value. It's true. It's, it's unfair, and the process for appeal is unfair. Okay, thanks very much. Next question, please. I would like to ask Dennis and uh, Cheryl this question, and it's uh, how do you uh, see yourself working with the Youth Advisory uh, Chair Committee, and do you guys agree with the youth centre that they're going for? Dennis, go ahead. Okay. I think that the youth are, well, we can't deny it. They're our future. We have to work with the youth. Uh, as mayor, I would be wide open to any youth organization that approached us for any means at all. Uh, you're our future taxpayers and maybe our future politicians. Thank you. Okay, thank you. The next question, please. Sure. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, I'm so sorry. That's fine. Um, I really celebrate youth. I, I uh, love the positiveness about uh, your existence and the can-do attitude you have, and you're not quite as uh, tainted as us older folks. And I also appreciate the need for space and to have your own space and your own identifiable space. And I'm not quite sure um, how your plan to have that space is, is um, supposed to roll out, but I would suggest that uh, it becomes a partnership with some of the existing great agencies that already serve youth. Um, in this community. So I'm sorry I can't be more uh, informative, but uh, no, oh, thanks. Thanks very much. The next question, please. My name is Van Pelt, and some time ago the city awarded an, what appeared to be an untended uh, contract for advertising on uh, electronic signs along Highway 3 at the Crow's Nest Trail. My question to Mr. Dodek is, were you present at that meeting where it was unanimously uh, approved, and how did you vote, and do you feel comfortable? Uh, is this a moral and ethical question at all, that City Council announced uh, or awards contract untended? You, uh, I believe it was you or someone else, asked uh, Ryan Parker the same question yesterday at the Aldermanic Forum. 
And the answer given at that time was that it was by way of a request for proposal, I believe it was not untendered. He was the, provided the best service and quality of service uh, for what the city was seeking. Under the Municipal Government Act, citizens or aldermen, serving aldermen, are entitled to do business with the city under certain conditions. They can't vote on it, and they have to be the lowest bidder, and it has to be reasonable, and that's uh, the way it was dealt with. So yes, I voted for it. I don't have any difficulty in doing it. It was a reasonable thing. It was at the lowest cost for the city, and I would do it again. I find it impossible to, in the council meetings to find that where it was uh, tendered. Sir, I am telling you that it was discussed and debated publicly. Information was provided during the course of the debate. I, obviously, at this point in time, I can't remember the agenda item, what date it was, or what exactly was uh, said. But I am telling you that the city solicitor, who has uh, oversight uh, from a legal perspective uh, as to whether it's legal or not, had indicated it was perfectly legal under the Municipal Government Act, and not only that, it was the best deal for the city. Of course, legally is not uh, necessarily sorry. ethical. This is not a debate, but you do have an answer to your question. The next question, please. Thank you, Trevor. My name we'll is Kim follow, We'll take follow-up questions after everyone in the room has had a chance to ask one question. Please go ahead. My name is Kim Seaver. I'm not a senior citizen, and my house is 100 years old. <laughs> and the value of my house has increased so that I'm paying an extra $130 in property taxes every month. And my question is directed at Mr. Dodik. Since he's accused me of being partisan, I'm going to ask him a question directed specifically or has something to do with the current city council. It's, it seems that when a large group of citizens comes to city council and fills up the council chambers, the city council sits up and listens. For example, the skateboard park, the bicycle bylaw, the RV bylaw. But when the same number of citizens come to city council in smaller groups spread over a larger period, for example, say home business license costs, city council shuts them down and continues to maintain the status quo. And so my question to you then, Mr. Dodik, is what is your thought on this discrepancy and how will you address it if elected as mayor? Okay. There isn't a discrepancy. It, uh, it may appear to you when there's uh, a number of citizens that uh, were uh, swayed by it, but uh, in fact... We are swayed to the extent that we have a large group of people giving us their opinion on uh, certain things. You uh, mentioned uh, some of them, and uh, one of them you didn't mention was uh, the skateboard people. They showed up, and they made a presentation to council, and they were late after the uh, CIP. Nevertheless, council still put in a resolution saying, well, let's see what we can do for them. Let's see if there are grants available. Let's see if we can find possible site locations. So what we did is we took a fiscally responsible approach and said, let's see what we can do, let's see if the money is available. In terms of home occupation licenses, uh, we've had that discussion many times. People have uh, come to CIC meetings, uh, I believe at 295 for, I think it's a telephone service, and 400, which allows uh, uh, visitors to a place, is not uh, uh, unreasonable when you want to ensure that most residences stay residential. So the fact is that in certain cases, certainly we can be swayed or persuaded uh, by uh, a group of people, but we are also persuaded by single and uh, doubles, and uh, you know it doesn't matter how many people are. If the issue resonates, if it's one that we believe is the will of the people, we will vote accordingly, and, you, and that is the truth, sir. Okay, thank you. Next question, please. My name is Ken Eichel. I have a question for Mr. Dodick and Mr. Spearman. <laughs> and I'd like to talk uh, basically about taxpayers and citizens' rights, taxpayers' rights. And it seems that we don't have rights when it comes to uh, huge projects and uh, maybe $10 million uh, dumped on the, on the taxpayers to pay. But it uh, all comes down to uh, councils, arts councils, sports councils, every other different kind of councils that make the decision that says the taxpayers, we're going to put this kind of a, a facility up and um, with a bill on it. 
like for example uh, the NMAC Center with $10 million, $12 million there uh, applied to a property tax uh, new uh, Twin Arena with $10 million there applied to uh, property tax uh, but please come to your question I'm coming to the question but what I would like to know on uh, citizens' rights, taxpayers' rights, um, you have a you have a poll of 300 people that said, "Oh, oh we're going to you're going to build it." You accept 300 people, but you never go to the to the big council, the taxpayers. You never go to them and say, "We'll give you a public hearing on whether you would like to have this building built." You and your do question it. is? That's my question. Why don't you go to all the taxpayers to open, have a public hearing? and uh, get a proper vote from all the taxpayers on what they want to pay for. Thank you. Uh, Rayco, you take it first, please. In my earlier remarks, I made comments that uh, just before the operating budgets, uh, what we do is we obtain a statistically significant survey of, uh, of our citizens. And the reason I emphasize statistically significant is that you are going to have uh, 86,000 people, uh, the residents of the city of Lethbridge, not be able to agree on everything. So what we do is we try to find out what the needs and desires and the wants of the people are through a, uh, through a, a sample. And then we look at what grants are available, and it is through that process that we arrive at uh, how much money is going to be spent on what projects. And most of the projects have been on the books uh, for a long period of time. If you look at the uh, CIP, you'll see that most of the projects are mundane things like transportation, sewer, water. Very few of it is community projects such as the Twin Ice Arena that you're talking about. So we have a lot of people saying, you know what, you're giving all the money to the sports people, you should give more to the arts. We get arts people saying the reverse. We try to do our best despite the fact that you are, despite your views to the contrary, sir. Thank you. Chris Spearman. Well, the, the city's going to implement uh, some form of interactive uh, two-way communication early in the new year. Uh, that'll be one barometer of what citizens feel. But I do think that uh, random sampling is the most accurate way because uh, you can get special interest groups uh, shaping the response by encouraging pe a whole bunch of people to respond a certain way. Uh, I think you do have, you know, it's very difficult to, uh, to, to play the balance, you know, between the arts and the sports for sure. But I think uh, I'd, I'd have to say when you're elected to city council, you also have a responsibility to try and provide enhancements to the community. Uh, recreational facilities are, uh, there's a lot of people that are very frustrated with the quality of, of recreational facilities. I'm hearing that, uh, that, that in Lethbridge, ours are very dated and very traditional type of recreational facilities. And... Uh, Somehow we're going to have to respond to that need. It's an, it's an, it's, we're going to have to do that through, through taxation as well. So we're going to have to implement savings in order to fund some things. That, that would be my goal is to let's see where we can achieve savings. How can we assess priorities? If you elect new people, you'll get a new look at the priorities. That's what I would say. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question, please. My name is Leanne Elias. And I have a question for James Frey and Cheryl Mahedden. My question is about your past experience, and I'm wondering if you can give me uh, an example or two of um, things that you did that you feel would contribute to your um, ability to lead our city. James, go ahead. About two years ago, when I was working for the provincial government, I was uh, actually tasked to uh, take over for an entire department uh, up in Edmonton. My, my role was essentially an advisor to the minister, and I was up in Edmonton on a consistent basis, and one of those things that I had to do was present to him uh, information briefings on a regular basis and also advise him on policy decisions and how we were going to roll those policy decisions out on a communications basis. And that re required a very high level of information and a high level of working with senior government officials um, as part of a team. You needed to be part uh, at the table with uh, the deputy ministers and assistant deputy ministers and work with them directly. And in that time, in about, in about a six-month time, I got to know them very, very well. And I would bring that to the table. Those connections that I made in Edmonton over that six-month period, not with just, just with that department, but with all government departments, I had to work on, on a senior level with them. Cheryl, go ahead. 
Thanks. I would say that, um, to answer your question, I'm very connected to the community. I have um, logged thousands of hours as a volunteer. I've had uh, employment in several um, of the large institutions here. And my experience is actually in leading teams and being the person that has to make the decisions, create the vision, uh, clear away the obstacles for people so that they can do things. And as an example, um, a few years back, I was asked to sort of parachute into a highly dysfunctional project that had several hundred thousand dollars of um, money being thrown out. It was going nowhere. And I'm pleased to say that was able to use my interpersonal skills and my leadership talent to build that team. And as a result of that, that project turned around and generated um, probably quadruple the amount of uh, money that was invested into it. Thanks very much. Next question, please. My name is Gary Wycombe. Um, my question is to Reiko Dodik and Cheryl Mahedden. I believe that community decision-making and local government is very much improved when council shares the power with the community and involves the community in decisions. Three good examples that we've had over the last decade is the pedestrian bridge across the Old Man River, which was conceptually designed by an advisory committee of 12 citizens. Um, the new community core that's been planned in West Lethbridge, we've seen the start of it. That was designed through a series of workshops with um, citizens talking about how they wanted, wanted a, a community core um, to develop over the next 40 or 50 years. And the, the third bridge crossing decision where uh, 50 residents came together over the course of four months, regularly met to discuss that issue and then brought forward the uh, Please get to your question. I'm getting there. So the question is, I would like to know, one, would you support um, more community involvement in the budgeting process? And two, do you have any ideas on how you would achieve that? Thank you. Uh, Reiko, go ahead. Well, yes, I would support it. And uh, we try to get there. Uh, maybe we're not doing as good a job as we could by doing many, many, or at least uh, having uh, public consultations, uh, discussions on storyboards uh, with respect to proposed uh, uh, budgets uh, in terms of budget increases and things like that. So we do get people's opinions in terms of both of the operating budget and in terms of the capital budget uh, as to what they would like to see. So one way uh, of, of perhaps uh, getting more input on that is per perhaps uh, getting on the website because people simply were not coming uh, to City Hall, nor were they coming to schools when we uh, took uh, took those boards uh, or storyboards on the road. So it seems that that didn't work. We couldn't get them into City Hall. We advertised it. That didn't work. So perhaps maybe the best way these days is uh, through uh, web discussions and interactions uh, back and forth that way. So the answer is yes, I would support it. Thank you. Cheryl? I would say that if the city believes that they are, in fact, asking people for their opinions and they're not uh, getting their opinions, then there's something uh, is broken in the process. And it's more than just asking you what you think. Um, lots of people, well, I guess they don't really ask me what I think. But um, you need to, people are only going to be engaged if their opinion is heard, if it's listened to, if they are a stakeholder, and if they're invested. And I would start this process inside City Hall. I would let departments see their budget and say, this is your budget. You folks need to manage this. If you do X, it's going to result in Y. And then push that out. And, and people will then be engaged, involved, and the decisions they make will matter. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, next question, please. Oh, thanks. Uh, my name is Alan Hall, and I have a question for James Frey and Dodik. I, I, I apologize. I have a hard time saying your first name. Anyways, um, this is the first municipal election that I've act, fo actively followed, and I couldn't help notice but a contrast of campaigning styles between you two. Uh, Frey, I noticed that uh, you relied on less on conventional means but more on social media, and I noticed for you, Dodik, you relied more on conventional means and less on social media. Anyways, um, just out of curiosity, um, how much have you spent on your respective campaigns? And how would you feel about the idea of a cap for uh, campaign expenses? Thank you. Kay, you have the floor. One minute. Okay. It's James. And oh, sorry. Was it James? I heard 
Really? Yeah. I, I do apologize. Uh, James and Dodick. James, please. Um, I'm going to ballpark it here in terms of how much I'm spending. I'm guessing it's going to be around $7,000 total. Very clear. Thank you. Rayco? That's the second question. Uh, uh, how would you feel about a cap? Oh, a cap? Sorry. Um, I think that's difficult to, to, to impose. I think uh, we do have caps right now in terms of how much individual donors can present and how much each, each, each candidate can, can put in. So I think there, there are already caps in place in terms of a maximum. I think that's really up to how, how hard the, uh, the candidate works. Okay. Rayco? Uh, answering the second part first, uh, I don't uh, really have a problem with a cap. Uh, I'd be okay with that. Uh, I, I can't say how much it would be. Uh, I'd have to think about it because that's obviously that's not a question I, I was actually thinking about today. But in terms of how much spent uh, on my campaign is I don't handle the finances, but I do. I'm going to guess that it's going to be somewhere in the area of uh, twenty to twenty-five thousand dollars. Right. Okay. Well, that's a staggering amount. Well, let me then complete it. Uh, when there was a mayoralty race uh, a number of years back, uh, the uh, second place candidate spent over $100,000. What I'm doing is following uh, the advice of uh, advisors. We could uh, have spent a lot more than that. That may seem like a lot of money, but it doesn't buy a lot of newspaper time. It doesn't buy a lot of radio time. It doesn't buy a lot of uh, TV time. And if there's any suggestion that I'm trying to uh, buy this election, the reality is I'm putting my experience and knowledge on the line. And I'm sorry that uh, it offends people that I'm actually trying to be elected. Thanks very much. And the next question, please. Hi. Uh, my name's Stephanie, and if it's okay with you, I have my own question, but I've also been asked to ask a question on behalf of someone in the audience. Yeah, I've been told tonight. about that, and that's okay. fine. You go ahead and do it. Ask your own question first. Okay. And then the lady in the wheelchair. Okay. Uh, my question is, uh, we have 10 days left until the election. How are you going to get out there and promote this to the people who are not showing up at the forums, who are not really actively involved already, to get that votership up and going, especially in the age range of 18 to 35? Uh, and to whom is your question uh, directed? Sorry, um, we'll go with Chris and Cheryl, because I've heard stuff from James and Kay already. Chris and Cheryl. Okay. Well, I think we're, uh, we're doing our part by uh, coming out as candidates and making it an exciting election. I think if there's a lot of interest in this election, hopefully people will buy into that. We're also we're going door-to-door. -door. Uh, I think every candidate's door-knocking. Uh, we're... We have put signs out. I've, I've tried to be reasonable. I'm using the same signs I've used for six elections, and I've just recycled them. And, uh, and, but uh, we're trying to be visible. We're trying to be accessible. We're answering all those questionnaires. Uh, we're using Facebook. We're, uh, we've got websites. We're, we're trying to do a lot to get our message out and, and engage people. We've all got uh, platforms. You can uh, find out all about us on the Internet. There's interesting stories in the paper. You can read multiple ads. You know, So uh, I don't know what else we can do to engage people, but uh, local, local politics is the level of politics that's going to affect your life the most. You need to get involved and make sure you elect the right people because... Low, uh, the politics at the municipal level is the level that will affect your life the most. So please get out and participate and vote. Thank you. Cheryl? I think like Chris, I've done the same sort of push strategies, you know, the signs, the media, by the way, which is $14 an inch in the Herald, and uh, some radio ads, which, by the way, are $50 a piece. And... Um, so those sorts of things. But really, my um, preference is to engage people. So I take the um, poll strategy. So when I get asked to come to an event, uh, the first thing I say is, what can I do there to help you? Um, how can I contribute to that? And the other thing is we're offering events that are meet and greets to come out and talk to me and, and tell me what you think and, and criticize what I'm doing and, and give me some feedback. So And we're actually having two of those tomorrow, but I'm probably not allowed to make a plug about that, right? You're right. Sorry. <laughs> Go ahead with your question for the lady in the wheelchair. Um, if elected mayor, would you build more wheelchair-accessible homes that would ha be as affordable as other new homes? This is directed to Kay and James. 
Okay, Kay, you have the floor. All right, thanks for that question, Steph. Um, I think we can't. It's hard to promise. We, we don't build the homes, uh, but we can always uh, ensure certain rules certain rules are put in place to ensure the, the ramps and on, on homes. But as a city council, we don't quite build the homes and tell you, well, uh, this house must have ramps, but we can build uh, uh, plans and, and codes to ensure that new homes do have new ramps. Okay, James. We would certainly work with the provincial government in terms of affordable housing and what sort of standards are in place in, in terms of uh, wheelchair ramps. We have to follow those standards in building um, affordable homes, and, and if there is a requirement for, for people that have barrier uh, issues, then we have to present or have that information or, or have that, uh, those homes built. Uh, but it's really up to the province to determine how much affordable housing dollars we get. And I think what we need to do is really actively, if we do have a need here, we have to actively lobby the province in terms of getting that money uh, for the city. Okay, thank you very much. And the next question, please. Hi, my name is Brenda McQuarrie, and I'd like to ask this of Cheryl. Cheryl, you already know that we lost 30 million just like that. And what I'd like to know is, um, I don't know if any of you are reading the Sunday or the, some of the Calgary papers, and you've already estimated that they've lost over $70 million, but they don't know where it is because the paper trace is gone. Now, do you think it would be a really good idea maybe to have an outside, one of those people come, that come and check out you? Auditor. Yes. Why don't we have an outside auditor come in and see if we need all the managers under the managers under the managers and there's no one there working. Thanks. Um, I think part of the problem is that the trust relationship has been broken between the city and the public when it, when it came to that um, um, asset-backed paper fiasco. So in order to restore that, the city has to take some additional measures and that could include an auditor. Uh, that may not necessarily be a permanent need, but it's something that needs to happen in the next um, cycle uh, in order to restore some of that trust and to look at it from an external um, lens. Thanks very much. Next question, please. Yeah, uh, I'm Bob Jansen, and I would like to know to ask questions to Chris Maiden and Dennis Carrier. My question is, if you guys be elected for mayor, and the council, would you guys take a 5% pay cut and advise the other council to do the same thing for the next three years? Yes or no? Cheryl, you have the floor. No, I think it was, um, it was Chris. Oh. I'm sorry, who is your question directed to? Uh, to uh, Cheryl and uh, De Dennis. Cheryl and De Dennis is what I heard. So Cheryl, go ahead. Um, I'm already very generous and donate, but if that's... Um, something that citizens think is necessary, then I'm not um, opposed to that. Certainly, I'm not doing this for the money. Um, it's a, a service, and 5% is uh, not that much. Thank you. Bob, can I... Bob, can I have your question again? If you take a 5% pay cut... It's bouncing around in these five hearing aids that I got in. <laughs> if you got, take a 5% pay cut for the next three years and have the city council do the same thing. I'm not getting the question. 5% pay cut. Yeah. And I think you said... Okay, a 5% pay cut, if you mean across council, they can't... Uh, the aldermen can't take a 5% pay cut because they don't get paid enough right now. They're getting paid uh, municipal affairs figures. If you sit as an alderman, you make $2 an hour for the amount of time you put in. But at $30,000 for the amount of time that a sitting alderman is going to put in, uh, that's a donation. He might as well be a volunteer. And the question was also for the mayor. The, the question also related to the mayor. Would you, t If you're elected mayor, would you take a 5% pay cut? I got no problem with that because the mayor, uh, I think in my thing, he's, he's up over $90,000 and 5% pay cut, you bet. I'd be in favor of that. Okay, thank you. Next question, please. Uh, my name is Sam Richards. Um, in March of 2009, the Lethbridge Skateboard Association was formed 
And uh, we had various meetings with city administration about the development of a new skate park. And conveniently, in the same period of time, the CIP was created. And for some reason, the discussion between administration and council didn't include any new skateboard facilities in the city. So my question to Reiko is, why is there a disconnect between city administration and city council when associations from the community come and present um, their desires or likes or wants? And why wasn't skateboarding or skateboard park included in the CIP? And why were we, quote unquote, late? Okay, Rayco. I have no idea why administration uh, didn't bring it to our attention. Okay, so I, I don't know how I can answer that question other than to say that uh, it was not. The usual practice, or, or a lot of times what will happen is we'll get that information, and then a lot of times there will be a preparation or a presentation either by administration or uh, the association, uh, which was what happened in your case, uh, although it was after the CIP. So uh, the most I can say is, uh, at this point, all I can do is look at it. It's information I didn't have. The information came to me after the CIP, and the reason for that, uh, I don't know. I simply don't know. So the other, other okay, part of my question. Okay, thank you. Just the other part of my question was, why is there a disconnect between administration and council? With all due respect, you're saying that, you know, it's one of those uh, uh, questions that you can't answer, uh, especially when you don't have administration here to, uh, for me to uh, question them on. What usually happens is, or in, in this sort of a question, you say, this, this is the fact, you have to accept it. And I'm telling you, I need to hear their side be, uh, and find out whether you're absolutely correct or they're absolutely correct or they're somewhere in the middle. So to ask me to make a decision saying, yes, there is a disconnect, just to pander, uh, I'm not prepared to do. It is documented. Thanks very much. Next question, please. My name's Larry Alford. I'm with the Concerned Citizen Group that had the ad in the paper today. And uh, I have a question for uh, Reiko first and James Frey to follow up on. Mr. Dodek had said that our investments are safer now. He says GICs and bonds are about what we're limited to. And yet the written investment policy he introduced this year in council specifically allows trusts in the document. The old investment policy did not allow trusts, and yet we purchased $30 million worth of trusts. The administration's also refused to answer questions in writing, as has Mr. Dodek and answer any questions to show or bring any documents to show what he's been saying. I point to a disconnect in the words and the documents, and I would like to those two gentlemen to say, how do you explain how the written record differs from what you say, and don't you feel that the public deserves written answers backed by real documents? Thank you. Thank you, Reiko. You have the floor. I came, I came to this debate uh, to answer questions uh, on what I consider to be issues uh, that are germane to the upcoming election. Mr. Larry Elford has uh, been inundating. Uh, no, 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 let's have order. Go ahead, Reiko. You have the floor. Okay. What has happened is Mr. Elford continues to say that the Asabak commercial paper that uh, the city held back in 2007 when the market was disrupted was uh, not within policy. We received a legal opinion that said it was within policy. Mr. Elford does not like that legal opinion, so he continues to send requests saying you have to admit that it was not within policy. We have chosen to accept the legal opinion received from the city solicitor. Mr. Elford is not a, a, a city solicitor. So, and secondly... With no, no documents to support uh, your position. Thank uh, you. Carry on, Reiko. Secondly, uh, the, the trusts that Mr. Elford is referring to, uh, 
that he says is now included in the new policy is a mistake that he's making in the interpretation of the Municipal Government Act. The new policy that replaced the old policy did not add anything, uh, uh, or uh, trusts were not added. The trusts are always referred to in the Municipal Government Act, so we did not change that. We limited the investment to conservative uh, uh, securities only. Thank you. James? Larry, do I have the same question, or is it a different question? Well, uh, James, go ahead with okay. the question, answer okay. to the uh, question, please. Getting a clarification, sorry. Yep, that's fine. Okay. Um, like I said in, my, in, in, in one of the questions I answered earlier, I think the problem was not so much the, the, the fact that it happened. It did happen, and it happened to a lot of people, but the issue was around communication and how the city handled disclosing that information. Now, should they have, have they done it in writing? Should they have not done it in writing? Either way, they should have communicated openly and told us what had happened at the beginning instead of letting things go too long. And what had happened is that it had gone too long and too long and too long and too long, and finally they come through and say, yes, oh yeah, it happened. And I think what we need to do is make sure that city council members and part, partly city administration is held accountable to those, those decisions that are made. Thank you. Next question, please. Hello. My name is Dwayne Pendergast, and my question is for Cheryl Mahedden and Rako Dodig. It's already been noted that the local environmental group, GreenSense, included you both in a survey of environmental issues. One of the questions asked if candidates would, and I quote here, advocate for a city-owned and operated wind and solar energy farm. Lethbridge is already surrounded by wind farms, and a transmission line to connect them to the city has just been completed at considerable expense. Our electricity costs have been rising steadily, and it seems wind facilities are adding to them. Solar facilities are even more expensive. I don't see how city ownership would make a difference to that Please get, please get to your question. Uh, Cheryl answered yes to the survey, and uh, Rayco was less enthusiastic. Could you both uh, restate your positions on that survey question? Thank you, Cheryl. I think what you have to um, look at is what it is you're going to do with that wind farm energy, and it can't necessarily just be for Lethbridge citizens. It would be a resource that would be available for sale, and it would not be, uh, the concept wouldn't be that different than perhaps Medicine Hat. Medicine Hat's the gas city, and they have uh, reaped a lot of uh, benefit from having that natural resource, and our resource here uh, would be wind. And so we would be able to use that resource in this cooperatively owned farm to feed back into the grid that would benefit not only people um, here but would also generate revenue. Yeah, Rayco, go ahead. Thank you. Green Sense is a group and I respect their passion but uh, the only alternative energy they seem to consider as being appropriate is wind and solar. The questionnaire was, in my view, completely unfair. If I wanted to convince people that I was environmentally friendly, I knew how to answer those questions. Some of those questions asked for, if you were uh, elected, would you advocate uh, payment of significant incentives, financial incentives, some of them in the range of 6000 some in $3,000, uh, in terms of dealing with plumbing fixtures and other things like that. So what I did is I answered honestly and at the end put a comment saying, you know, I'm not going to say I'm going to advocate having taxpayers pay huge incentives to put in place something that you truly believe in. And that's fine. I, you know, we can have that debate. But the survey, in my view, was an unfair way of treating candidates. And candidates who wanted to uh, score high on the environmental spectrum could easily do so, and they did. Thank you. Uh, next question, please. Uh, my name is Jeff Small. I'll just get right to my question. This is for Cheryl and Chris. Uh, do you think that Lethbridge needs a more diversified um, economy and industry 
to keep college and university graduates to stay here. And if you could, please tell me how you could uh, help influence that change. Thank you. Cheryl, go ahead. I think that uh, Lethbridge has a good economy, and that was reflected when the uh, markets turned down and, and other cities saw some pretty uh, significant job loss, uh, double-digit dips in values of homes. So I think we came out of that because of our economy. I would suggest that we continue to build on our strengths and that we look at growth industries. And uh, a broader approach to growth industries includes things like uh, wind energy, solar power, biofuels. Um, those are uh, industries that uh, we would support. And yes, you're right, so we could keep our 15,000 or more college and university students here. Thank you for your question, Jeff. Uh, I chaired the Industrial Association of uh, Southern Alberta. I've been a member since 1983 and uh, chaired it for over 10 years. Uh, we've uh, also worked with Economic Development Lethbridge. I was the representative for the Industrial Association for five years. You have to have a business-friendly environment to attract business here. Uh, the current City Council has increased water and sewer rates by 6% a year for the last three years. I went to City Council and said that was probably inappropriate, probably going to just not cause, you know, there's two methods of economic development. One is to attract new businesses here, and the other is to encourage existing businesses to expand. And if you're going to raise utility rates by 18% in three years, nobody's going to be expanding because they're going to wonder when's, when are the next, what are the next group of increases going to be. So we have to encourage our existing businesses to expand. That creates opportunities. And we have to have competitive rates and uh, get our rate increases under control so that new businesses will feel comfortable coming here. And I do agree that we should diversify uh, our economy and, and make sure that uh, we just have that business-friendly environment. And I'm, I would certainly work towards that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And the next question, please. Uh, good evening. My name is Trina Timko. And um, I have some. Uh, I have a question for James and as well for Cheryl. My vote is going for new people all round. I think that Lethbridge needs some changes. And um, my question for you is in regards to spending any more on uh, the police station. A good little suggestion from a, citizen, a young citizen that I got at uh, our, one of my kids' elementary schools was, Mom, why don't they put the policemen in a, in a unit like what they build for us, uh, the cubicles that they have for the kids? Can we maybe put more money into our schools to keep our little people off the streets from doing violent things? rather than needing more police officers and spending more money on the police department and whatnot, I am all for getting more police officers. We could maybe use the $50,000 a week that we make on one red light camera for more police officers. But we really, how about give them some portables? Okay, we've got your question. And go ahead, James. Well, I, th I think there's some security issues around having portables at a police station, so I won't, um, but... I, I agree with you completely. I think what we need to do for youth is they need something to do. I'm, I'm hearing a lot of people talk about gang activity and a lot about drugs. And what do we do to do that? I even had one, one person at one door suggest, well, we need a curfew in the city. And, and we know that curfews don't work. They've been tried elsewhere and they don't work. What we actually need is a youth, some youth programming. There is some out there already, some really good programming. But it needs to be expanded. Uh, does it need to be a youth center? I don't know. We need to actually further, I mean, we have, a, we have the results of a youth advisory council study that looked at it. Um, current city council said, thanks, come back in three years. Um, maybe we need, to, we need to fast track some things more. And we actually need to prioritize, and where do we actually consider our youth? Um, we have a lot of kids in this city. Our big, one of our biggest population groups is people under the age of 25. And if we want to keep young families here, we need to have things for, for the kids to do. And right now, our, our current population, we're losing people in our 30s and 40s because, because of jobs and because of not things for the kids to do. Sorry, can I just get a clarification? Was your question about whether the police station should be um, built or have portables or 
Um, what would be your opinion in, in basically giving them some portables like what we would do for our children? How about spending more money on our kids rather than, yeah. like some prevention rather than mm-hmm. um, you raise reaction? A, you raise a good point about you know, priorities in our community and what we value. But I value living in a safe community. And if the police department has put forward um, what has been approved by uh, council and administration as a need to have a space, then I think it's important that they um, have that space. But it shouldn't be at the cost of other things which are equally valued. But I think the bigger issue here is what's going to happen when that space is developed. So if there's a budget for that space, I have watched all of these beautiful public buildings go up with budget overruns that are absolutely would make, you know, I don't know, your hair curl. And I think that the process for that um, and more controls on that would help because then there would be more money for the things that you're advocating for. Thanks very much. Next question, please. My name is Henning Mundel. Lest some of you that know me think I'm an interloper asking a question of potential of mayoral candidates not living in the city, rest assured, myself and my colleagues in Sunset Acres come to the city daily. And my question is directed at Reiko and James because they will know what I'm talking about. I live in Sunset Acres. On the way into the city, the county part is paved, has been since the early 80s. Then we encounter rough gravel road with this year completely unacceptable dips and so on, risking our cars, our, our shock absorbers, our windshields from other vehicles coming by. When is the city going to pave their part of that road? Okay, Reiko, you have the question. You know, I, I don't have the transportation uh, capital improvement program uh, at hand, but I know I, I appreciate what you're saying there, and I, I appreciate that th that road will need to be paved. And uh, unfortunately, uh, I wish I could tell you uh, today a specific date, but what I can tell you is that uh, you've raised it, and this is what happens in situations like this. Issues arise that I can't uh, immediately uh, deal with. So the promise I will make you is that within the next week, I will find out for you a date, and I know how to get a hold of you, and we'll give you an indication. But I do know the issue, and I do know your frustrations and other people's frustrations. Uh, but as you know, a lot of times uh, transportation is done in a certain uh, manner, in, in certain order, and that's what's happening in this case. But I will get you an answer, and I'm sorry I can't give it to you today. Okay, James. Hennig, I know I, I can't respond to your question specifically. Is my mic on? Um, Hello? You can't? We okay. got sound. Um, I can't respond to your question specifically because I'm not as part of that, but I, but I can tell you I have encountered similar problems uh, across the city. There's an area that I live in. Uh, it's an area called Squamish, and it's on, uh, just off of Red Crow Boulevard. And Squamish Boulevard takes is a short road, um, probably about a dozen houses long. It's a major access road. It's been in the, basically built for 10 years now. It's take 10,000 cars a day down this short road and that is unacceptable to the people living along that road. Most of the people living along that road have only stayed in their houses for two years. They were told initially that that was only going to be a short-term fix. It's been 10 years now. How long does the city believe a short-term fix is? Um, we were told in our neighborhood that there was going to be a ring road built around Métis Trail. It is yet to be done. Uh, and that will take pressure off of Red Crow and take pressure off of Squamish Boulevard. Thank you. Uh, next question, please. Hi, uh, my name is Gianna Malacco, and I had a question for Mr. Dodic. Um, <laughs> so the city is building a new website for $1.4 million, and as I understand, it was open to a world bid. Now, I'm wondering why it wasn't open to just a city and local bid. 
if yeah. I'm asking that correctly. Uh, you are, and uh, and the reason for and the reason for that is the uh, the provincial government uh, passed uh, not that long ago the Trade Investment Labor Mobility Act, and there's been some conventions uh, or some other acts passed since then. And what it requires is that even though the city may want to shop local and uh, prefer local suppliers, you're required to open it up to absolutely uh, everyone. And that is uh, provincial uh, legislation, so we are caught by it and we have no choice. Uh, we would love to be able to uh, hire local whenever we can, but we have some uh, constraints on us, and that's the reason why. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Next question, please. Hi. My name is Ashley McKenzie, and my question is for Kay and for Cheryl. I am a recent graduate of the U of L and new to the workforce in Lethbridge. There's been talk about what we can do to keep graduates here in Lethbridge, and I agree with the incentives uh, as far as hiring them on and finding them jobs, but for me, most of the reason my friends leave Lethbridge, I'm still here because I'm born and raised and there's a piece of my heart here, but a lot of my friends that came for school and left leave for reasons there's not really a culture or community for people in their young to mid-20s to 30s even. And I'm just wondering what you would do to foster some sort of community and encourage people our age to stay here. Thank you. Kay? Thanks for that question. Uh, I do have experience, actually, in getting the community together. Um, I think you were there uh, uh, earlier this year. Um, it's something that uh, would take time. It's something we need your friends moving away to stay around because more people would create more events and more attraction to a better culture in Lethbridge. Uh, I am. Uh, I do things on my own to, to let people stay, and I will be willing to do that if elected as mayor to ensure that I keep that up and, and look for stuff. And I understand what you mean. After certain times, there's literally nothing to do. And uh, with my experience in that, I will make sure that uh, the age between, let's say, roughly 20 to 30s uh, could find something to do in Lethbridge. Okay. Um, I think that uh, I'm always a little bit surprised, and you're younger than I am, so maybe it's because you have more energy, when people say there's nothing to do here. And... Um, I think if you look, we have, uh, you know, we have a hockey team, we have museums, we have a very, you know, vibrant program at the university for, you know, plays and theater. Um, but what we lack here and what I think you would want to connect to are festivals and events. And I know when the SAG just had their grand opening, I, did any of you get to go to the SAG opening? Wasn't it fun? And... Um, it was there were 700 people there, and it was a lot of fun. And I think that if we could have more of those events um, and encourage more festivals, that that would help uh, you to create a community similar to what other folks are doing in small towns and, and big centers like Edmonton. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I see nobody else at the mic. So what I'm going to do, there was a lot of interest in the question on surveys. We have uh, one question. Sorry. No, I'm sorry, I missed what you did. Is there anybody at the mic? I don't see anyone, or is the mic not working? No, the mic is working. Okay, in that, in that case, I'm going to give those candidates who wish to speak to the issue, uh, one minute each, on surveys. There have been an excuse enormous me, we, Excuse me, sir. We were lined up here waiting to ask questions. Okay. Well, I didn't see you at the mic at the time, but you're quite right. I did say that uh, we would take follow-up questions. So go ahead. My name is Ken Eichel, and I have a very interesting uh, question for... Uh, Mr. Frey and Mr. Spearman, relating to the lady that was uh, and the request for uh, an environmental manager and also an environmental council, and I would um, have to speak uh, against uh, that based on what's happening in Ontario with uh, the Enviro councils that uh, went in there and uh, changed, uh, changed the uh, Energy Act and now they have uh, one of the highest-priced electricity 
rates based on, uh, on windmills and the objection to windmills right now and the time of use meters that are in there also done by an enviro council. Please and, get to your question. And I want to know basically if you're elected that you will take a real good look at what's happening around North America with uh, enviro councils and all you have to do is look at uh, National Post website and look at St Stephen Fowler's uh, 1010 response and see how they push the button and blow, blow dissenters up. Okay. Uh, James, you have the floor. Absolutely, we're going to have to look at uh, having an environmental council. My, my vision for an environmental council, and that's really up to them, is to provide advice. They're not going to be a policy-making council. Um, they would provide advice to council. Council would be the ones that would actually make the final decision. It would not be this, the, the group of advisors. And the group of advisors would be volunteers from the community, the, the experts that know uh, and have the background information that city council does not have. Go ahead, Chris. I'd want to be very careful as well. I'd, I'm used to looking at decisions from a business point of view, and I, I'm certainly uh, conscious that taxpayers don't want to pay any more. I appreciate the uh, level of environmental consciousness, and I, I believe we should uh, reduce our environmental footprint. But I'm just like an average citizen. I think I'm doing what I should be doing, but I could improve. I think there's things that we can do that are very simple in our city. I think we could... Uh, cancel garbage collection every second week and have uh, recycling pickups every second week. Just simple stuff like that. Uh, phase out the use of plastic uh, garbage bags in this city. Let's raise the environmental consciousness in small steps and let's not uh, incur huge costs at the, at the uh, expense of our local taxpayers which then they'll have to pay on their, on their uh, municipal taxes and, and maybe get very, very slow returns. So I think uh, we really have to look at these things as business decisions and what's best for the taxpayer and what's best for the residents of Lethbridge, and that's what I would do. Thank you very much. Is there anybody else there, yes, for a follow-up question? Go ahead. Yeah, I just had a quick question. Mr. Dodick and uh, Mr. Frey had already disclosed their planned uh, campaign spending. I thought it was only fair that the other four candidates had a chance to quickly speak to that as well. I would say, I would say that uh, when all is said and done, I will have spent uh, close to $20,000, and I'd sure like to know how you got away with that. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Mine is a pay-as-you-go campaign. When I get donations in, I spend the money. So... Uh, I expect my total campaign expenses will be less than $5,000. Thanks very much. I know for a, fa I know for a fact that my uh, campaign will cost less than $5,000. Exact, exact numbers, 4500 <laughs> okay, thank you very much, candidates, for that. Is this the last question? Yeah, if that's okay, I just had a quick environmental one that um, I just thought of when I heard those responses. It was a bit... Go ahead. You're at the mic, okay. so uh, go ahead. Quick question is, with that environmental response, Chris, um, we keep going back to taxes and little steps at a time and everything like that and basing it off of business decisions and everything. Um, environment is not a business. Environment is our ecosystem that we have to live in and stuff. And I, I keep hearing that the costs are too high and we have to keep putting it off and putting it off. Well, the costs are going to get higher over time as well if we keep putting it off and have a larger problem down the road as well. So I see that as something in my future as a taxpayer. I'm going to have higher taxes later on in life because we aren't looking at it more seriously now. So I was just like wondering if you'd like to expand on your yep. response to that. Yep. Well, who is the question directed to? Oh, uh, Chris. Yep. Chris. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> so where I work, we're registered to the ISO 14001 standard, and it's a standard of continuous improvement. So every year we assess where we're at, and then we set goals for uh, reducing recycling. And in order to maintain your uh, registration, you're audited by external auditors who come in and make sure that you've met your goals and you've actually reduced. So continuous improvement is what I believe, but I'm not going to go off on and invest taxpayers' money on some unproven schemes that are going to cost a lot of money. I'm going to uh, move forward, reduce our 
environmental footprint, and I'll be a citizen leader. If I can do it, other people can do it. And, uh, you know, if I, can, if I can recycle more and in different ways, other people will do that too. So I think that's the way to move forward. We can't uh, be spending tons of money on windmills. Do you know, I support green energy, but I would say on, a, on the hottest days of the year and the coldest days of the year, there is no wind. And that's when the energy is the most expensive. So where are you going to get your return on investment? Okay. Thanks very much. We've come now to the end of our forum. And I'd like a big round of applause for our candidates. Thanks very much, everyone, and thank you, too, to those of you in the community room. And uh, we look forward to your going out to vote. It's also helped us over here in the chair on who we can vote, who we should be voting for. So thanks a lot, everybody.